Emmons K. Talk YA now presents Super Fan Sunday with Meredith. to another Superfan Sunday, an episode where we let some of our listeners share their thoughts on their favorite YA series. And today joining us, we have another M, my sister Meredith Kelfi from Pittsburgh, PA. And she's here to talk to us today about the Lunar Chronicles. Hi, Mare. Welcome to the show. Hi, Riz. Thanks for having me. We're really glad you could join us. I'm very pleased to be here. And you were one of our very first listeners when we first started this project months ago. That's accurate. So thank you for bearing (laughs) with us and sticking with us through all the very rough episodes we had at the beginning. It's been a wild ride. It really has. I think we've come a long way. I'm proud of us. I distribute your bookmarks. Oh, do you really? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. Yeah, even to people who do not want them. You just hand them out on the street. You like. come into my office, you get a bookmark. <laughs> uh, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I thought they would only be in Chicago and Atlanta, and I'm really happy that they're in Pittsburgh, too. Well, it has been fun to watch you and Katie on this journey. <laughs> You've met Katie, haven't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You met her at the wedding, I think. Yes. But yes. <laughs> She's great. She's great. I like how Aunt Judy just calls her cornbread casserole. Oh, well, yeah, that's, that's her, that's her name. Because she made that um, recipe book for me for my wedding. And that was the recipe Katie submitted. And now all of my friends are just the name of the recipe that they submitted. Yeah, um, I have heard Angie call her cornbread casserole several times. (laughs) Um, Katie was so much fun at the wedding. And I feel like I know her much better now. Oh, I'm sure she she appreciates that a lot. From listening to her pod her potting. <laughs> Is it called potting? <laughs> no. <laughs> but I wish it was, because that would be amazing. Because casting is like something else. Casting is like making a mold. Yeah, I think so. Potting is <laughs> That sounds like isn't there a phobia of like when people see clusters of pods, it like yes. sends them into a frenzy? Yes, and I, oh my god, I have no details of that other than I know that it does exist. It, it, it's like extremely agitating to them mm-hmm. to see like a cluster of anything. Yeah. Ooh. I'm so glad I don't have that phobia. I know. That would be too much. <laughs> On top of our <laughs> other phobias, it would On just be too much. everything else, that'd be too much. <laughs> Okay, so we're here to talk about The Lunar Chronicles today, which I know you read and loved because you followed along with us when we read it back on the very first episodes. And um, I'm really excited to hear what you think. I'm excited. I read them such a long time ago, but it was such a so much fun reading them. It was my first foray into young adult fiction in, in a while because you and I read... You know, we read The Hunger Games together, and we mm-hmm. read The Maze Runner together, and we read um, the Percy Jackson books together. Um, <laughs> but I kind of fell off after that, so it was fun to pick back into something, and especially one with such um, such meaty themes. Mm-hmm. 
And it was nice too getting to talk to you about it because I like when we were little, we read all the same YA books. Like we were really into the Redwall series and the Lloyd Alexander series. Yeah, back then it was like it was pretty much high fantasy or nothing. You know, mm-hmm. that was pretty much what we had. That's all we had in our bookshelves. Atlanta, the remember the Atlanta series, <gasps> Tamara Pierce. Yes, Tamara. Oh my gosh, we were so obsessed with them. So it was nice to kind of delve back into that. YA barely, it didn't really even exist much as a genre. I mean, Tamara Pierce is a great example of like hacking into that at an early time. But even Lloyd Alexander were really, they were books for kids and they were books for adults. They were never something that like carved out teenagers. I know. And now it's become like such a popular genre. It's amazing how it's just like taken off. And it's, it's funny because it's not really a genre that is read so much by children anymore. It's a lot of people who are like in their 30s and 40s who are super into it. Well, escapism is probably playing a large role, <laughs> but I think with books like this, um, you can read them on a lot of levels. So, mm-hmm. Agreed. So back to the Lunar Chronicles, I am curious to know, we have a lot of princesses. Who is your favorite character? For me, Cress is such a slam dunk favorite. Me too. And, right. And yeah, I've been thinking a lot about why I like Cress as much as I do. And I think it has a lot to do with the way Cress represents an approach to female heroism that is not as instantly recognizable to us as heroic because it's not presented in the very familiar device of the female warrior or the woman you know who fights like a man or who acts like a man um in order to sort of signal to the audience that she's very strong and that she she is heroic and instead Cress is someone who really openly embraces her feminine side and it doesn't prevent her from being super effective um it's just not the archetype that we're used to looking at and the same things that make me root for Sansa over someone I think a little more one-dimensional like an Arya are the same things that keep me rooting for Cress over someone like say you know I think Scarlet is probably the least sketched out character Mm -hmm. in the story um yeah she's a little more one note right she's a little one note and then you have someone like Cinder who while really compelling is also sort of that strong female warrior archetype Mm-hmm. that gets a little, for me, always a little trying. Like, I understand that it's compelling. Um, but at the end of the day, I sort of sometimes feel that it's sort of favoring one way of being female over another. Mm-hmm. And I love how much of a showcase Cress got to be her very, you know, girly, romantic, imaginative self in the context of still being very heroic. I think it's really interesting you made the comparison of Crest to Sansa Stark because I didn't, I mean, I love Game of Thrones and Katie doesn't watch it, but um, that is such a good comparison of Sansa who was at the beginning this very, like she's kind of daydreamy. She has this end goal of like marrying the prince and compared with um, her sister Arya, she's seen as a little bit flighty. Right. But then you see her having this, huge transformation through the show where she becomes one of the strongest characters. And she, and, and the difference between Sansa and Arya and how they both advance, how they both grow individually through different mechanisms is something I've been thinking about for a long time. And 
Well, I, the reason I was also thinking about this recently I thought, is because I was reading an article on um, Mike by Julianne Ross, and it was just saying how, well, it was an article about how everyone hates Sansa, but it's because of the way we're conditioned to um, the characters and female heroes that were conditioned to prize. Oh, okay. And how all the little mistakes that Sansa makes are all just byproducts of being a teenage girl who was raised in a castle mm-hmm. and her naivety. Um, and she makes arguably smaller mistakes than a lot of her, than, you know, say her brother Rob or her father Ned, both of whom get... Or Daenerys. Yeah, or, well, yeah, but, uh, right. And they make mistakes that, no no one's mistakes are going unpunished. So it's not as if Sansa right. isn't paying for her mistakes. But for some reason, they're so much more unforgivable. But people find them unforgivable because of the way she's doing them without stepping into this mold of casting aside her femininity. And, and at the end of the day, it's this this robe, this mask of femininity that she kind of cloaks herself in that protects her. Mm-hmm. Um, it's why Cersei can, keeps, you know, overlooking her as a real threat. It's why they kind of just treat her as a pawn rather than as a something to really be rooted out. Right. And I always said from the beginning, when people were just like hating on her so strongly, I was like, no, 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 no. She is going to last until the very last chapter of the book because I think she has what it takes to survive. Yeah. And other people have said this too about Sansa. It's people hate her. They don't hate her because she messes up. They hate her because she messed up in a big, a big, dumb, girly way. Mm-hmm. Which is so unfair. Right. And she's also very kind. Like, she is very resourceful. She's put her life on the limb for people. Oh, yeah. Um, and, but she just doesn't have anything that's recognizable in the form of, you know, a sword or a very sharp wit, or though that's coming along. And <laughs> basically that, you know, she doesn't have, she doesn't display mask, the masculine abilities that most female heroes have to display to be considered heroes. That's a good way to put it. But uh, in the Lunar Chronicles, I feel like there's a good balance between characters like Scarlet and Cinder, who step into, you know, the this archetype of the strong female warrior. And then people like Eco and Winter and especially Cress, who who are much more romantic and I would say traditionally feminine, while still being, you know, really tough fighters. Right. Right. She's definitely very classically feminine uh, as opposed to the other. She's um she indulges in these like flights of whimsy. We see her from day one having all these, <laughs> all these elaborate, really fairy tales are, that she tells herself. These fantasies that she kind of goes into when she's alone on this satellite. Um, and sure, I mean, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, Crest is a hacker. So, I mean, yeah. there's a, there, and that's certainly like aside to her personality. That's maybe um, less. I guess we would say what we when we think of a hacker, we usually don't think of women. But she also, you know, it says she spends all her days in like a little dress and she has long blonde hair and she has big blue eyes and she dreams about a prince. And I think Mm -hmm. that the intersection of that with her mental fortitude is something that is really interesting to me because out of all the characters, like she has that mental fortitude that, that like, like mind of steel that she needed to survive on that satellite. And it's almost like she switches, she like clicks Mm -hmm. a switch and goes Mm -hmm. into it. And it's nice too, because it's, she is more, um, she's not one-dimensional where she, she, the author's almost saying like, guess what? You can dream of having a prince and you can like 
pretty clothes and you can also be a really BA hacker and like own that part of it too. Right. I love that. Yeah, I just, she's a little bit out of the mold, you know. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, so <clears throat> we sometimes talk about what scene we would like to see um, on the big screen if the book was made into a movie. So I was curious to know if you had a favorite memorable scene that you would most like to see recreated. Oh, um, that is so easy. It's almost <laughs> scary. Um, <laughs> I don't visualize that much when I read, but there is a moment in winter that just like, visualized it so strongly and so quickly. And I literally could not wait until I would see it on the big screen, which I'm sure will only be a matter of time. And I would not be surprised if this is a scene that inspires somebody to put it on a movie screen. It's already been optioned. Oh, really? That shouldn't mm-hmm. surprise me, but that's great. Yeah. Um. So in winter, when Cinder is like leveling her first attack against Lavana in the throne room, and okay. she falls out the window. Oh my right? gosh! Yes, and into the and lake, into the, lake. Or into the fountain, or whatever. Yeah. And. We sort of knew there was a lake on Luna. We sort of knew there was fake atmosphere on Luna. Um, and we knew there were domes on Luna. But I think until that moment, we didn't really like contemplate how all those things came together. And it kind of describes how the dome that houses the palace also houses the lake. But because of the dome, mm-hmm. because the side of the dome where it, where it touches down to the lunar surface bisects the crater and that's where the lake is so it's almost like a dam oh yeah i guess so but but it's not like a dam because the dam obviously like continues onward whereas this just stops Mm -hmm. the water so from the outside of the dome you see this just clear almost invisible barrier that the lake is pushing up against and we know the lake's super deep in that place too so it's not as if I mean it's a dramatic amount of water probably 50 to 100 feet Mm -hmm. of water and Cinder falls into the lake and very quickly the current like takes her all the way to the edge of the dome and she starts butting up against it and that's when she like is able to pour her head up and she looks down and she just sees she's at the edge of the lake water but she's you know at the, at the surface and she just can see straight down and into the crater that's bare and dry directly on the other side. And I think it just was such a dramatic scene. And also it'd be great to um, allow a director or whoever is coming up with this, uh, the cinematography to kind of decide how the moon would look like in a fantasy setting. So not in a setting where you're trying to like realistically create a moon, but let's say, you know, if you were to have a, entire city built on the moon how would it look right because it doesn't have to look like anything any other city it doesn't it It can look look... whatever you want it to look right so that interpretation would be really cool to see and also that scene was just so scary because i mean she just (laughs) falls such a long distance and it was really a moment where you're like oh my god is she gonna make it out of this alive yeah, she, we're wondering, is she going to make it out alive? And she's exhausted and she's probably never swam before. I don't think she got swimming lessons in New Beijing. <laughs> uh, probably um, not, yeah. She's sort of like scrabbling at the edge of this this barrier, which, you know, is 
probably smooth and she can't get a handhold. And, and like 60% of you is made of metal. That's not helping. And she's short circuiting. <laughs> and your system shut down because it's all waterlogged. It looks very frightening for a while. I know. Well, actually, um, that actually leads me into my next question. So Cinder has a lot of cyborg skills. So she can download things directly into her brain. She can detect lies. And I wanted to know which special cyborg skill you would like to have and why. Um, that's really easy, too. I love the way that Cinder's um, Android component would let her access data and information really rapidly on, you know, the inside of, you know, whatever the equivalent of her cornea is. Um, I just love that she could pull up information about whatever she was looking at and sort of process it right there and have everything at her fingertips. And you know how I am just, like, if I see something that I am even remotely interested in, I'm like, tell me all the things about that thing right now. Yeah. Or like, I hate when you're in the middle of a conversation with someone and they mention a name and you have no idea who that person is and you feel so stupid and you're like, and you like go (laughs) under the table and I like, will look up the person's name and be like, oh yeah, of course. Um, I know who that is. That's the uh, wide receiver on the Steelers. (laughs) It's mostly like sports people who like people reference and I have no idea who it is. Yeah. Oh my God. I wouldn't, I, yeah, I think it's very kind of you to even make the effort with that in that conversation <laughs> my eyes would just glaze over and i'd be like bye um can we talk about ya now thanks yeah um okay uh the last question that i had for you was uh so the lunar chronicles are adaptations of fairy tales so there's cinderella snow white and i wanted to know which adaptation uh you found the most creative and the most interesting um i think So I think Cinder is the most creative in terms of all the elements of the original tale that were paralleled. Mm -hmm. And I mean, Cinder herself is great. Like she's so resourceful. She has a weak spot for guys with messy hair. (laughs) Who doesn't? Who doesn't? (laughs) Um, Because we like we talked about having a messy having messy hair is the universal symbol of being a nonconformist. And you did not like that. I did not like that. (laughs) I just don't understand how somebody can touch their hair that much and still be handsome. (laughs) His hair would be so oily because of his hands. No, it would just be adorably messy. I just can't. I have trouble visualizing it, and it's because he's touching his hair all the time. Um, Maybe he has a lot of dry shampoo, and it's it's just. You know. Oh, and the humidity. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to say, I mean, in ter- I don't know if creative is the right word, but in terms of um, the character that challenged me the most is for sure Winter. Oh, okay. I mean, talk about, like, Cress may be a little outside the mode of, like, the strong female character that we like to, um, you know, get behind. Yeah. But Winter is even more of a complicated figure. I mean... At first, I really actually disliked her character because I felt that she was being a little bit too much of a martyr. Mm-hmm. Um, like refusing to use her power. Right, and, refusing to yeah. use her power. And, I, you know, I understand, like, seeing all the horrible things that people manipulate each other and it's, um, you know, there's no genuine interactions and you can really, you know, cause harm. But at the same time, everyone has the power. So for her to not use it doesn't seem... It doesn't seem like it really forwards an end other than her own um, stubbornness. Her stubbornness and sort of her own desire to 
you know, position herself as this highly moral person and, mm-hmm. you know, at the expense of her sanity. Like, her mind is falling apart. Um, right. And I found that a little bit unbelievable. Like, do you really have so little self-preservation that you're willing to let yourself deteriorate to that extent? Right. Like, do you really feel that strongly that you're forwarding any agenda by not using this power? Um and then, you know, it sort of puts her in the position where, where she, she needs a lot of help. I mean, yeah. she's not doing great on her no. own. And she really needs Jason so, so much. He's not independent at all. Right. And that's not something that, you that's know. That's hard I'll, to root for, right. It's hard to root for. Exactly. Um, but I think she does come through in the end. At the end, she's incredibly, she's also very heroic. And mm-hmm. I mean, doesn't she like incubate her the vaccine in herself or something? She gets infected with the vaccine. And she gets they... infected with the virus and they put her in the coma. Right, right, right. And then she uses her power, I think, at the end to save Jason, right? Yes. Yeah. So she contributes hugely. Um, and I don't think when you when you read her character, you kind of get the sense that because she has this very sacrificial nature, mm-hmm. you never really doubt that she's going to be able to contribute. You just feel that it's going to be really dramatic and maybe unnecessarily so. <laughs> Um, but but that's sort of also how you and I both are. Like, we're kind of like, well, better to, if you want to change a system, better to make incremental change from the inside sometimes. Rather, than, um, yeah. Rather than rock the boat, uh, you know, obviously depending. But, you know, in, in when you're dealing with real institutional problems, that's one approach that some people may try to take. Um, so I had trouble getting behind her approach there. But at the end, I think she's she's just made really interesting and you really have to bear with her for a long time because the book is so long. I know, it really is. Oh my God. <laughs> I didn't have the books. I've been reading, I was reading with you on my Kindle and I didn't have the books. Oh no. I remember I read the first three and it was like, I didn't think anything. And then I get to the last book and I'm reading and I'm reading and I'm reading. And I'm like, Marissa, I'm still reading Winter. <laughs> when am I going to get to the end? And then you go, oh, yeah, that book is like a thousand pages. And I was like, what? <laughs> but it, <laughs> I would, I don't, I don't know that I would have signed on. For that, oh, honest. I'm so glad I didn't tell you then. <laughs> but I'm glad I did. Yes. Okay. So do you have, we always end the episode with a dad joke. Do you have a dad <gasps> joke for us this week? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no pressure. But you have to give us a dad joke. <laughs> I do. I have one about Cinderella. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Oh, you're the queen of dad jokes. You're the Levana of dad jokes. Oh, right? no. <laughs> well, um, that's probably not a good comparison. My, you're the Emperor Kai of dad jokes. I'll take that. Thank you. Okay. All right. Um, why was Cinderella bad at soccer? I don't know. Why? She had a pumpkin for a coach. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for talking with me, Mare. It was really great having you on the show. I'm Thank so glad you we for could tolerating me. <laughs> no, you were great. <laughs> we really appreciate it. Thank you so much for following us. You've been a great fan from day one. And I love you so much. I love you, little potter. <laughs> I'm a potter now? God, oh. First I'm Levana, now I'm a potter. Oh, potter! <laughs> Just pod, pod away. And my Laughing mind, and rolling and potting. My mind went to Harry Potter and I was like, what? Yeah, but it needs some work. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, on that note, I think we should say bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.